you haven't noticed, I worked really hard on this sermon title. <laughs> Let's pray as we proceed. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would focus our hearts and minds on what you have to say to us today, and that you, give, that you open our hearts to receive it. Give us ears to hear you and hearts to obey. May it be so in Jesus' name. Amen. There, some of you may remember this better than others, but there was a time when people would just stop by your house just to say hi. Doesn't happen as much these days in the age of instant communication. In fact, I've seen at least one comedian do an entire bit on how you can't ring anyone's doorbell anymore. But it used to happen. Maybe a friend was in the neighborhood for some other reason, and they knew you were nearby, and so they might come by and see how you were doing, maybe come by to catch up. And when this was the case, and some of you might still do this, it was often the case that people would keep things on hand just in case somebody stopped by to entertain, to, to feed them, essentially. But even if it was a dear friend... It might be a little stressful if you were trying to relax and get some rest at the end of a busy week, or perhaps it might be stressful if they came by and you had nothing to offer them. What if you were trying to rest and you had nothing to entertain with, and 5,000 of your friends stopped by to say hi, just to see how you were doing? It is not unlike the scenario we find in our passage today, where Jesus and his closest friends are trying to rest, and over 5,000 people come and crash their retreat. This week's passage is part of a greater section of Mark. And in this section, Mark is very much highlighting the miracles of Jesus. He records a number of them to show that Jesus is a prophet who works supernatural deeds. But more so than that, he builds upon this to show that he is the Messiah and builds upon that to show that he is the divine Son of God. Mark is building this revelation throughout his gospel. And in this episode, he adds details that foreshadows this fuller identity. This particular episode is in all four gospels. And it's an important episode that Mark uses to teach us important aspects of Jesus' identity, yes, but also important aspects about our identity as followers of Jesus. Our story in the, the greater picture of Mark's gospel, it picks up right after Jesus has sent out his inner circle of 12 to preach repentance and drive out impure spirits and to heal the sick. It's a scene that is also recounted in Luke. It's similar to the one where Jesus sends out the 72 that we looked at a few weeks back. And after that story, Mark gives us an aside telling us of the, the death of John the Baptist. And then he picks up the narrative here. That's what they're coming back from. The disciples are reporting to Jesus what they did when they were sent out. And a great number of people are coming to meet Jesus. And Jesus plans to retreat with his disciples so they can rest. Remember that the next time you're running yourself into the ground. Even our Savior rested and invited his disciples to do so. 
However, when they land in this solitary place, as Mark describes it, the place that Jesus had in mind, a large crowd meets them there. It's not a convenient time, but in this place where they're supposed to be resting, Jesus has compassion. It says, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Leaders in the Old Testament were often referred to, or on occasion referred to as shepherds, and so Jesus shepherds them. He teaches them. The disciples then raise a valid concern. They're in a remote place. There's no food, and so they ask Jesus to send them away. And Jesus gives them an answer that they probably were not expecting. He says, you give them something to eat. Now, these instructions actually inform us that our, a key component to following Jesus, a key component to being a disciple of Jesus Christ, means meeting the needs of others. Jesus is not just being cheeky with his disciples. But how Jesus engages the situation, it shows us how we can actually go about doing that in our own spiritual walks. Today we'll look at three things the disciples recognize that lead to these people actually being fed. The first thing they do, simply put, they recognize the need. Now, I'm a little curious as to whether they sent, told Jesus to send them away because they wanted their retreat back, or if they were genuinely concerned that they were hungry. Maybe it was a little bit of both. But it's a valid concern. And in their own way, they work toward a solution. To their credit, they bring it to Jesus. They even suggest to him to send them away, essentially telling Jesus, Jesus, direct these people to the resources that they need. One interpreter said something interesting about that comment. She said, as if they could find something somewhere else that they could not get from Jesus. The problem we sometimes have when we ask Jesus to solve a problem, by all means, ask Jesus to solve the problem, but understand that when that happens, he might take us along with him. Instead of sending the crowd away, as they suggest, he says, you give them something to eat. He is deliberately giving them something beyond their means. He is putting them in a situation where they are in over their head, and it does not escape them. He's not being metaphorical. He's saying, feed these people. And they note... It, they know why it's, so, why it's so daunting. It would take more than half a year's wages to feed these people. And at this point, they've seen Jesus heal. They've seen him raise at least one person from the dead. They've seen him cast out demons. They have some, done some of the same things. And yet their solution at this point is to send people away. And when he tells them, them to feed them, they're at a loss. All the same, the solution starts with them recognizing the need and at least taking it to Jesus. People may not ring your doorbell and tell you what they need. But that doesn't mean there isn't need around you. There is need near and far. 
And God may do any number of things to allow us to see it or to highlight it to us. It might be a news story. It might be a conversation with a friend. It might be a person holding a cardboard sign. It's a good thing to pray for these things. But understand that when we do, Jesus might say, you do something about it. And sometimes he might be more direct than others. When he feeds the 4,000, later in chapter 8, they're in Gentile territory, and it's Jesus who has to bring up the need. It's him that has to say, I have compassion on these people. How are we going to feed them? God might be a little more direct when he sends us to people not like ourselves. And it might be inconvenient, especially if the need is daunting. But what happens in the passage next, it tells us what we can do about it. Jesus asks them a question that informs them where to start. His question invites them essentially to recognize their gifts. If it's more helpful, you could say, recognize the resources that they do have. If you ask me, whatever resources you have at your disposal are gifts from God. Jesus asked them a simple question. How many loaves do you have? Go and see. You don't have half a year's wages to feed these people? What do you have? This is an especially helpful question in the face of daunting problems. What needs has God highlighted to you that are on your heart? Perhaps, as you listen to God leading up to Vision Sunday, he may have given you a bigger vision than you were hoping for. That's okay. It can be overwhelming if we forget this question. How many loaves do you have? What do you have? If we think we have nothing to contribute, it might, we might get frustrated with what God calls us to unless we recognize that he's already given us things that he might be asking us to allocate to the issue. Take a look at what God has given you. Consider how he might use it for his purposes. Maybe you don't have half a year's wages that can be allocated to an issue, but you might have enough to give regularly to a ministry that is working toward the need on your heart. You might not have the time or ability to serve in a particular capacity on your heart, but you might be able to support someone who does, either financially or through prayer. And this church collectively does those things. And I've, I've highlighted it before, but even if you're thinking to yourself, well, all I can do is pray, I will say it again and again. Then pray! And if you're at a loss, again, get in touch with me, and I will give you things to pray for. And if it doesn't seem like you can do much with what you have, even as you bring it to Jesus, it is especially important to consider the next thing. What are we to do with all this need around us when we only have X amount of money, X amount of time, X amount of ability? 
The question is answered by what they do next. They bring what they have to Jesus, and that makes all the difference. They bring him five loaves and two fishes, and two fish. They recognize the Lord. Jesus has them sit on the grass, and he takes the loaves and the fishes. And to their credit, they bring him more than just what he asked for. They brought him fish. And he gives it to the disciples to give to the people. And the, the original language is Greek, and in the original language, the tense of the verb, it suggests that he kept giving it to them to give to the people. The minuscule becomes abundant in the hands of Jesus. So much so that all ate and were satisfied. And that word for satisfied, it has the, the, the sense of being filled to the brim. It's not just enough to be content. They are full. And there are broken pieces everywhere to testify to how full they are. And each disciple has a basket full of them as a testimony to themselves of what Jesus just did. Because of our culture, we only have the number of men present, but it was likely a lot more. This would be like Glenbrook North and Glenbrook South showing up on your doorstep with their families and leaving full. This passage is ministry in a nutshell. If you, f and, uh, well, first we look at what Jesus does. He teaches the crowd and he feeds them. He feeds them body and soul. That, simply put, that's ministry. And make no mistake, if you follow Jesus, ministry is what you do. You are a minister. Ministry is not just something clergy does. Clergy does it in a certain capacity. But we, are, but we who follow Jesus are supposed to follow his example ministering to the needs around us. Jesus uses the disciples to make this happen. And later, as the story unfolds, especially through Acts, he uses the church in an even greater capacity, in partnership with the Holy Spirit. And that continues to this day. That's what we do. And in this picture, they are meeting an immediate need. But Mark is trying to show us something very significant with this episode. He has, some he has some interesting details that are unique to his account. The word that tells us that he took him to a, a solitary place, it shows up three times in this passage. It's m more commonly used to describe the desert or the wilderness. Mark doesn't just tell us that Jesus had compassion. He tells us that the people were like sheep without a shepherd. And for some reason, he wants us to know that they sat on green grass. Why? He's trying to call images to mind. The word for wilderness, it might call to mind the exodus and God's miraculous provision for Israel, through it, daily, and ab abundantly and miraculously, manna that was provided for them in the wilderness, perhaps 
suggesting that Jesus is taking them on a greater exodus, accomplishing a greater freedom, freedom from sin and death. Why are the people like sheep without a shepherd? And why in the world do we need to know that they're sitting on green grass? Because the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And he makes me lie down in green pastures. As the psalm testifies, Psalm 23 testifies. Mark is showing us that Jesus is the divine shepherd who provides physically and spiritually In the immediate sense, he is meeting the needs of the people through the disciples, giving them bread and fish. But ultimately, the gospel story tells us that Jesus is providing eternal life by giving himself the bread of life, as John's gospel puts it, by dying on the cross for our sins and raising from the dead on the third day so that we might have eternal life. When we place what we have been given in Jesus' hands, in the one who provides eternal life, he will use those things to meet the needs of those around us in his name, allowing people to know the provision and heart of the good shepherd. If, for those of us who follow Jesus, God is calling us to meet needs near and far. And God has given us wonderful gifts. Much to be thankful for. This church has gifts that are very relevant to the needs around us. God has blessed us with gifts of hospitality, generosity. He's gifted this church with people who are good at visiting the sick and the wounded. He's given us gifts of encouragement in our midst. God may yet have even more things for us to do with these gifts. When I talk to people in this town, I hear desire for purpose. I hear desire for relationship. I hear desire for connection. No amount of money can solve these problems. But the gifts I just mentioned are very relevant. You may not have half a year's wages to feed these people, but you might have a kitchen or a dining room table to invite someone to. You might have enough to buy someone a cup of coffee to hear their story and ask if you can pray for what's going on in their life to see if God might move in a way that catches their attention. There are needs near and there are needs far. And of course, there are, that's, it's not just the spiritual need in our community. As I mentioned earlier, there is physical need. There is hunger in our community. And we have an opportunity to minister to it more directly. And so again, I invite you, if that's on your heart, to get in touch with me about how you might be able to do that. And that's just here in our little corner of the the globe. We pray for a number of things going on in the world. And even those things is just a taste of what's going on. Needs like hunger, thirst, people recovering from disaster, poverty, violence that's ongoing. And there's... 
not a lot we can do at Fingston and Techne to minister to those directly, but God has blessed us with places with ministries like Covenant World Relief who have a reach, who extend our kingdom reach even halfway around the world to minister to these things. And I know many of you give to that, and so thank you. When God places a need on your heart, talk to him about whether he might be asking you to do something about it and what that might be. What do you have? Bring it to me. This world needs the physical and spiritual provision of Jesus. And when it comes up, it's not always convenient. It might feel like someone crashing our retreat or ringing our doorbell in the middle of the day, but our passage tells us that Jesus has compassion and he invites us into that compassion. Because when we recognize the needs that God highlights and we trust God with what he has given us, there's no telling what God might do. As God moves through us, he will make it so that others know his provision as well. That they know his heart and his lordship in their lives. And that they can be satisfied as well, body and soul. Let's continue worshiping our God. Let us join together singing hymn number 652 as we commit our church and ourselves to the ministry of Jesus Christ. Stand as you are able and let us sing together. <laughs> 